somewhere is here, memorial to the unofficial or official start of summer. And, and so uh, what I can use from you as our church is, you know, one of the things I like to do in the summer is kind of somewhat of a series, but not really because many people will be coming and going. And so if you have an idea of something to preach on, uh, and you're going to be here, let me know. I'll take it into consideration. We'll think through how that may fit or not uh, with where I'm going, or maybe use in, in our fall and winter series coming up. Uh, I, I don't believe I alone have a market on what God may be speaking to us as a church. I, I'm just as filled with the Holy Spirit as you are. Uh, I hope that for some of you I'm a little more attentive. Uh, but others of you may be more attentive than me uh, to the way of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just work in, uh, you know, uh, in just a pastor. We are all gifted and seen in the same way, you know. So uh, I know it's flattering to hear when you have a direct line. People tell me to to pray to God. My like my prayers are more important. We all have the same spirit. You know, we all, according to Peter, are priesthood of believers with that. And so it's not that my prayers get, get God to respond quicker, as if any of us can get to the creator of this world to move quicker. And that's what we need to remember. So I asked my family first about this, and, and Josiah, what did you say? Me. Me. He did. I said, Josiah, what do you want me to preach on? I said, me. <laughs> It's a dangerous thing to say to your father in the past, if you know that, right? Because I can just reach out to you. But what he did was King Josiah, you know, his name saved. And so this morning, we will. We will be looking at Josiah's name saved. So Josiah, I'm preaching hopefully about you. Hopefully you become like your name saved. But see, the story isn't just for people named Josiah. The story isn't just to tell us history of, the, of our, our world, but instead it's for you and for me as well. And as we get started this morning, we must be reminded of this. Our world is broken. It sounds pretty dumb, right? Okay, really? The world is broken? Well, I mean, I know I just came back from vacation, but this isn't reality, you might be asking. And no, it is not. But see, sometimes if we don't actually speak what is obvious, we will try to deny what is obvious. And sometimes healing, sometimes progress, sometimes transformation starts with stating the obvious. Whether it's in my life or your life. The obvious that, that scripture starts. The world was created. Period. Creation was intentional. And, the, and the, some of what the Old Testament will teach us is who is this creator God? We will see this within 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. As you Look there. As you see who Christ, who God is. And, and we have had a lot of things where we go, ah. I paraphrase from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the movies and the books by J.R.R. Tolkien. Someone who had a faith in Jesus, they tried to use his stories to kind of point out. There's a time in the movies and in the books where Frodo, one of the main characters, kind of turns to Gandalf and says, I, I wish I did not have to see this world as it is. What's truth and reality? And you know the stories of it because he was seeing the, the downright awfulness and evilness of life. The world was so broken. And here he is, wishing he was back in the Shire, where he could live, as the story begins, in the hole of God. 
or lived up. Don't we sometimes wish we could do the same? Sometimes we gather for worship, and, and it should be a refuge from what is out there, but we gather in and we go, well, if I just stay with my close-knit friends who are believers, then I don't have to see the world as it is. Yet the response of Gandalf is a wise response that we, I think, will find it within the pages of Scripture where he says, so too do all who live during it. We can think that we have, we see the world as broken and, 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 and we wish it wasn't so, but we also need to see that so do people who may not even realize how broken the world is, they too suffer and wish life was different. Wish it was not the way it is. Yet we cannot, I believe, walk around defeated, hanging our heads in defeat over the brokenness that is around us. That is not the truth of Scripture. Yes, our world is broken, but the end is not one of brokenness. The end is not one of defeat. It is one of hope, of life, of victory. Not because of what you and I do. And this is why we need to keep Scripture central in all things. The centrality of Scripture must be where we go forward. I don't say this to suggest we have gotten our face here, in these walls. But, as we will find within the story of Josiah, we must let Scripture be central to all things and must be above all things. It must be above who I am and the words that I say. It must be above our history, be above our traditions, must be above how we see this world. Because God is revealed in Scripture. Yes, as Daniel prayed, he said that the, the creation of heavens declare the glory of God. There is a place where you can know God by spending time out in nature. We ought to do that. But you cannot truly know God by just being out in nature. He has revealed specifically who he is through his word. And if we are people of the word, if, if scripture isn't central to our beings, we will not know God as we can know God. Prayer is great. I'm a big fan of prayer. You know that. Our church has a value of prayer. You know that. But we can't just pray and not be people of the word. That's not going to be how it works. And to some extent, this is where we start to intersect with our story here in, in Chronicles. Because we read what is going on here, that if you know the history of kings and chronicles, the nation, I mean, they were chosen by God. They were set up to be God's people, specifically. No other nation has what the nation of Israel, the Old Testament, had. There is, I would probably argue with you that there is no nation on earth today that is like the nation was called to be in the Old Testament. There is a plan for the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel today is not the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They're two very different. Okay? They're similar. They are yet very different on key points. The nation of Israel was called to be, to be followers of God to know specifically who God is. And he wrote it down for them. One of the reasons for the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was that God would be revealed in the written word so all generations would know who he is. So this nation would know who he is. 
And one of the things God revealed in this word is this. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. God will consume, or may I suggest should, consume anything that is placed in him. Where it is not about that object. Throughout the Old Testament, this is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. Okay, this is before the contract of the covenant is going to come. But he is letting the nation know who he is in this. And, and it kind of saying at the beginning, you don't just get to mess with me as God. I mean, you can try. But it probably won't go well. Third voice, you like to play with fire sometimes, don't you? At least have. Yeah, I see that little you, you, you mess around a little bit with fire, make things blow up. Do what? Every day. And sometimes it does what you want, right? But you have to have a healthy respect of that torch, don't you? Have you been working? How many times? A lot. Why? Because it hurts and it's hard, right? I mean, that's the simple. It was because you were necessarily doing anything wrong? Probably sometimes. <laughs> and then sometimes it just happens. I'm sure as you interact with experienced welders, they just, there's still times they get burned. You know, that's probably why you all have protected you from these forces. To protect. Okay? This was part of who it is. It reminds us that God, as revealed in his word, is holy, just, and perfect. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. He is perfect in all things. You know, it's not holiness as we may think of holiness. It's not justice as we think of justice. But he is perfectly just. And the nation of Israel, as we look at Chronicles, they're starting to, they, they have forgotten this idea of God's holiness and justice. So David is the king of, kind of in the Old Testament, the king of all kings. Every king needed to be like David, who was a man after God's own heart. Every other king would be measured along that. And, and if you read, if you want to put your hand or something in 2 Chronicles 33, you know, and then put your other hand or something else in 1, 2 Kings uh, 22, you know, you will read these words in 2 Kings 22, verse 2. He did, Josiah. What was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right and to the left. David is the standard by which every king was to be measured. The promise to David was there would always be a king that was on the throne. That is why it is important that the New Testament writers remind Rarely early on to the nation of Israel that Jesus is of the line of David. He is the rightful heir to the king and to the throne of David. Yes, if you were to read the verses up just a little bit, others, you would see the fact that though this may be true of Josiah, you read the king before him, Ammon. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors. He did not walk in obedience to him. You read before that, Manasseh. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he led the people to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You go before that, and you start to realize that, that it is not the norm for the nation of Israel and Judah to have a king like Josiah was already 
spoken. We get right in the eyes of the world. It is a reminder that the nation of Israel was and is broken in the story. And now we see how our world gets intersected with the world of Scripture. How what is going on around us is not something new, but something of old. Yes, it is new in some of the specifics, but it is as old as before. And you think about this, or maybe you, you, you may not realize this, but if you, you, you try and pin out how long did it take for Josiah to become king versus like David, we're talking only about 400 years to get to the point where we are in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But this isn't the beginning of the brokenness of Israel. A whole lot has happened prior to this moment. And we must be reminded. As we read this story, it is against the backdrop of the nation of Israel has gone downhill to the point where 10 of the 12 tribes really do not exist. They're gone. They've already been captured into exile by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the national power, the world power at the time, their power is waning, and another one is coming up known as Babylon. Which, if you know Old Testament history, if you don't, I will tell you, Babylon becomes the place, the nation God uses to fulfill his work. The brokenness of this is there. We see what is going on. We see this downhill cycle. If you were to read Kings and Chronicles, you would see this downhill. It started with Solomon himself. You had one ideal king. <clears throat> Scripture starts to look at us, and everything else is down there. Until Josiah is born. When we read these words in 2 Chronicles 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. One would think that after what you read in the Chronicles and Kings, that this is not something that would happen, but we are reminded that even in broken times, God is still alive and active. He doesn't take a day of thought. He isn't caught by surprise by the brokenness of his own people, of his nation. And he's not just sitting back going, oh, I'm just waiting until the day I say I'm done. He is always at work. Bless you. Make no word of the politics. That's about the third one this one. So, I don't know. That would be worth it. So, uh, you know, where Jonathan so, uh, but, but God is at work. We can, when we see the brokenness around us, we can wonder, is God still alive? Is God just silent? I would submit that God has never really been silent. We just don't always hear it. Sometimes because of the brokenness, we sang about our living hope, about who Christ is. But was God silent those three days in the tomb? Or did the world just not able to hear what was going on? And your brokenness, when it becomes right in your face, you can be tempted as I have been. And the honesty is you may need to express it, that you feel as if God has given up, that he is too far away to be reached, that he is silent. But if you will make the word of God central to your life, you will find time and time again there were people in a similar situation, like the nation of Israel, where they could say, no, God 
was not silent. Have you ever thought what one of the purposes of kings and chronicles is? It wasn't just to give us the history of Israel, though that would be important. In fact, we read throughout these pages in Kings and Chronicles that there are other books that tell us of what happened. But we have these in Scripture for a reason. And part of that reason was to teach the nation of Israel while in exile what God may be up to. Those 400 years of being in exile, they needed to know what God had done before. As we are people of Pentecost, that we are awaiting the time of full culmination of Christ. We've been given the down payment, we're waiting for the loan to be paid off when all things will be made new. We must realize that God is still active. Our brokenness, the world around us being broken, is an awful thing. But we must remember that God is God all the time. And all the time, God is God. It doesn't matter what time it is. God is still God. God is still in control. But what about us? What about you and I? And this is what I love about the story of Josiah. We read that he's in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. Reformation. Transformation starts by seeking the Lord. Josiah started to seek the Lord. Now this may have been because he was just curious where did he come from. It may have been because he had good godly counsel. I'd like to leave maybe a little bit of both. They said, hey, there were other kings when life was better. And so he starts to seek the Lord. And, and what happens when we seek the Lord? Reformation and transformation will happen. It begins here. Now, this is a great sign if you're reading Chronicles all the way through. Because if you're reading Chronicles all the way through, you're going, wait a minute, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Uh, I, I've heard of this before. See, we who, are, who just read chapter by chapter, we can miss this. But if you read Chronicles all the way through, right, as you get to chapter 34, there's something resonating in your heart. And it's going to be these words that Solomon prayed and that God answered that was specific for the nation of Israel. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek. Oh, if you're reading Chronicles and you come to Josiah and you hear the fact that he is seeking the Lord. I remember what God said to Solomon, the wise king. He said, if they will seek my face and turn from their work ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And it's like, oh, yes. But if they're reading Chronicles, the answer is no. Wait. Yes. No. I thought... God was full and is full of grace, mercy, and love. Yes. But wait a minute. If I'm reading this story, if I'm reading what is going on, it's almost as if God didn't keep his word. In Scripture, we'll highlight the tension between God's justice and holiness and God's mercy and grace. He is perfectly merciful and perfectly just. He is perfectly holy and perfectly gracious. Both, and you and I can't truly understand it. But he isn't just one or the other. And I think what we see in here in these words of King Josiah's reign, we see the tension that you and I live in today within the nation of Israel, Josiah himself. Is God just holy or just gracious? And the answer is both. 
but he seeks the Lord. He seeks God, and under seeking God, he starts reformation in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. Well, it really starts earlier than that. His 12th year. He's 20 years old now, the age of adult, according to Judaism, to some extent. He starts reformation. I wonder where the word it was. Here's where I think motives matter. We know all of the story. Josiah didn't know the whole story. He just said, wait a minute, I've got to seek the Lord of my ancestor. I've got to know who he is. And you know what? If I'm going to seek him, I can't also be seeking Baal and Asherah and this and that. I can't do both. I can't have it both ways. I've got to be committed to one or the other. Which, as Jesus' followers, we are reminded of the words of Jesus that say, you can either follow God or man. Basically, some other, but you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. He started, and what we see him starting to do is unlike any king throughout any of it. We see that he's actually unifying the nation of Israel under one kingdom again. It's not just in Judah, but all of Israel, Samaria, and beyond, even though. That nation, quote-unquote, doesn't exist anymore. Josiah said, no, we are one. Within this. And then an interesting thing happens. We're renovating the temple. And for reasons we don't know, oh, to know, there's always speculation. But for reasons we do not know, the, the Old Testament book of the covenant, book of the law, whether it was just Deuteronomy or the first five, that scroll was either hidden, was either told to be moved elsewhere, because if you're going to worship more, if you're not going to worship the God of Israel, you really don't want to remind you of the God of Israel around. Okay? And, and it is during this time of Reformation we read these words in time in Second Chronicles, we'll find similar words in Second Kings. Hilkah, the priest, found the book of the law that had been given to Moses. And he gave it to Shaphan, saying to him, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Then, then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, You are doing everything, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and trusted it to the servants. And Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And the secretary reads the book. Now, notice what is not said about the book to the king. The secretary doesn't say, here's the book of the covenant. Here's the book of the law. He just starts reading it. Why not? I don't know. Would that have changed Josiah's rough spot? Maybe. My guess is maybe not. Because he hears the word of God and he tears his clothes. He tears his robe, a sign of repentance. And he goes, oh my. See, because we cannot hear the word of God without responding to the word of God. Whenever God's word is spoken or read, there is a response that is absolutely needed. James says, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Some of the most dangerous times in our world are Sunday mornings. Or Wednesday mornings in our context, or your part of Tuesday mornings, Tuesday mornings. Because you hear the word of God proclaimed. It is, you can't hide from it. But we can get so inoculated to the word of God at some time that we just do not respond. Or we take it for granted. Josiah responds to the word of God by, by going into mourning because, as it says here, he says in verse 21 of 2 Chronicles 34, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, 
and for the remnant of Israel and Judah. You notice he's lumping everybody together. It would have been so easy for him to say, those Israelites of the north who just weren't ever really a part of us. Don't deserve it. He goes, no, 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 we're all in this together. Go inquire about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us. Because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. He understands the brokenness of his nation. He responds to the reading of the word in his midst. We need to know what God's going to do next. We, too, must respond. It is here. I want to just make the point to the side is the ideal king following Christ. That's part of the point. He goes. He hears of God's judgment, of God's wrath. And he says, let's go inquire what our next steps are. How easy would it have been to say, well, God is going to do what God is going to do. I'm just going to kind of sit back. He is active in this. And I'm not going to take much time, but I think it's interesting here that they go to um, Hilda or Hutha, the wife who is a prophetess, to hear. He doesn't go to Jeremiah who would have been prophesying at this time. I think Jeremiah would have said the same thing. Okay? I think there's Nuggets there. Okay? With that. But he goes. And I wonder, as we sometimes do, if we don't go to God, and we really hope because of our repentance, because of, of realizing our brokenness, that that means God's going to do what we want and hear the words of this. This is what the Lord says, 2 Chronicles 24, 34, 24. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that have been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all the hands has been. My anger will be poured out on this place. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. I don't think that's what the Messiah wanted to do. I want to do it. Then she goes on to say, this is what you are to tell the king who sent you. Because your heart was responsible, responsive and humble before God, and because you humbled yourself and you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I heard you. I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster of those who are of those who live. If you read the rest of the story, you know Josiah really isn't killed in peace. I know what happens. What? I know what happens. What happens? He was killed by Pharaoh. He was killed by Pharaoh? Yeah. We went up to battle him because yeah. he was kind of dumb. Yeah, I don't know where it's going to kind of dumb to go against Pharaoh. Yeah, more than one way, Josiah. Because Pharaoh will actually say, don't get in the way of God here. Now, really, if I'm Josiah, I'm going to think, what does this pagan know about my God? Let us never forget. If God can use a donkey to talk, he can use anybody. But Josiah is buried in peace before the destruction comes. And you know what? We may hear these words. If we were Josiah, we may hear these words and go, well, I guess I can stop because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. But why is Josiah the ideal king and follower of God? 
He knows that it is not changing God's mind. But he continues on. Reformation, transformation will only continue because of God's word. And you and I responded continually to God's word. And he continues on the quest, not so he would save himself or his nation from the pending doom, but because I think he had this understanding that God's holiness demands things be different than the way they were. He wasn't going to impose that on others, but he was going to make sure as the representative of the people of Israel before their God, their true king, as king, he was going to do what was right because it was right. And so that God and God alone would get glory, honor, and praise. Josiah reminds us that we can't expect God's blessing and live however we want. God is gracious. God is loving. God is forgiving. And he will forgive you, but, but he's also just. And there is a place for God's wrath and judgment. And it's not just some day. There are times when we, as followers of Jesus, we think that we can kind of do what we want to do, and that if we just ask Jesus to forgive us, all will be well. And you will be forgiven. But Paul mentions, as we come into communion in just a few short moments, Paul mentions that some have gotten sick, some have even died, because they haven't been living up to the standards of God. The natural consequences of sin can and will take place. You can't want the blessings of God and expect to live as if you command your destiny. God will notice and you will be called to account. Yes, you may be a believer as I am. But it doesn't mean we as believers get off with just the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. We too are judged. Yes, we will get into heaven. That is by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. But not all of us we're here well done with the faith of serving. Because some of us aren't really faithful. We're really wanting it far away. Motives matter. Josiah's motives matter. When you come to this table this morning, you don't come to this table to, to get God's favor or try to win God's favor. If you've been a very rotten scoundrel all week, it's not how it works. If you've been gossiping all week, this table doesn't all of a sudden make all things right. This table is a table of judgment. The cross isn't just for you to find salvation. The cross, it may lead you home, but sometimes you've got to realize, oh my goodness, I've not been living that way. There is a point. And I don't like it, but if, if I'm going to believe Scripture needs to be central in my life, there's a point where God says, I can't go on any longer. Romans 1 says, that's when we are gathered over to our own disturbed and broken brain. I hope I don't ever get there. By the grace of God, you're going to minimize I won't, but by the grace of God, I won't.
have no conceptualization of who this guy is. And, and, and as they're talking, the kids are going, wow, this must be a great line. This must be a good line if he's going to do it. And, and I believe it is Lucy who says, oh, is he a safe lion? And the answer is, oh, no. Say, he is not. Say, he is not a tame lion. But he is a good A reminder that when you are interacting with the Lord, he isn't a tame Lord. But he's a good one. He is a good one. But he isn't a tame one. We can't. Take him around on a leash and say, Look at my Lord. That's really not true. And you start doing that, to turn. Because as I read in Scripture again and again and again, those who tried to parade God around and use him for their own thing, they were consumed. And it ain't a good breed consumption. I don't stick around when they just keep lying from the zoo. Okay? Let alone if they were in the wild. I don't think it's a free And I think if we want to deal with the brokenness that is before us and around us and in us, that we submit to Jesus and the Word, we will have a transformation where we will realize as we are consumed by God, it ain't come, but He is good. He is good. That's the hope that's not a community, that we would be so consumed by the Lord. And it is a promise. But instead, God. And so let us go to communion. bread, the cup, didn't cost us anything. But it doesn't mean it wasn't costly. It's not, Jesus didn't say, this is your body, which is broken for your own sins. This is your blood, which is spilled for your own transgressions. So this is my body. This is my blood. So whenever we drink it, let us not drink it in an unworthy manner. But we remember him. And so we start with the bread. Remind ourselves that Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance.
Jesus wasn't just with and beaten, but took more than enough for what he was deserved. Reasons we have the cover is multitude, but it is a reminder of the fact that when Jesus died, he died completely. Not just a little bit, he was revived by a good medic. He Every bit of his blood was shed for you, for me. Let his brokenness heal you this day and every day, and may you submit in your brokenness to he who says, This is the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. That Jesus just didn't come to earth because it was a good idea. He didn't just die because he thought it would be a good idea to do that, man. He died out of love. Love for you and for me. And so we are going to pray for our love offering to meet the needs within our community. Community meaning us right here, but also our community broader. For he said, the world will know you are my disciples by your love. So as you can, the two multicolored bags are available for that. For those of you watching this online, uh, you can get a check or cash in. Just mark it clearly what it is for. With that, if you give electronically, you can make a note for those who give digitally uh, how much you would like your gift to go. And, and Jeff, as our treasurer, will, will see that as long as you clearly mark we will see that. If you don't, he's just going to treat it like anything else, which is okay too uh, with that. But let us pray over this offering. Those who are serving can uh, go down. Uh, this is what happens when your pastor goes away and comes back refreshed and, and ready to go. I go a little longer. So don't pray I get tired, though, please. You know, there's no fun for any of us. Um, but I hope you will be challenged this week with the word of God this morning. I hope you will also stand as we sing our, our closing song, The Bond of Love, this morning. Please.